Be advised that the content of this podcast is for mature audiences due to subject matter. You are listening to Romantic Truth with Josen, your host in Las Vegas. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. One thing that I want to bring up, for those of you who are thinking about starting up a podcast, one marketing tool I don't recommend that you use is what a lot of ignorant people use. You know what that is? You're going to learn something. Or I'm going to say something you didn't know. Never make the assumption that your audience is ignorant. I acknowledge the fact that I may present some things and you think about it. But it doesn't mean that you don't know about it, that you haven't thought about it, or that you're ignorant to it. You have to treat your audience with respect. This lady sent me a request to come on her podcast. And of course, I don't go on podcasts where there are a whole bunch of panelists. She had 30 people on the panel. And I told her, I said, what I'll do is listen in. I won't necessarily comment. And this is what I did. Now, this young lady was just starting out her podcast. She met well. And she's African-American. She's in her mid-20s. And she's starting out. Very well-rounded. Very well-read. She knew the subject matter she was talking about. But I advised her in the beginning, before she even went on, I said, 30 people, that's way too many people to be on a panel. I said, you're going to regret this. And she was like, well, you know, I want everybody to have a voice, et cetera, et cetera. Well, things started to go left because there was a person on the panel who knew her very well. Now, I've known this young lady for about two years. Never met her physically. We've only known each other online. This person apparently knew her very well. By the end of that segment that I'd listened to her in, I knew that this woman had a miscarriage. She had been raped. Domestic violence had occurred in her relationship. This woman that she had on as a guest, one of the panelists, revealed all of these things about her that I really didn't need to know about this woman. Now, here's the thing that I would tell you. As you know, all of your friends aren't your friends. They're friends of your success only. Friends of your notoriety. Friends of the benefits that they will get from you. And this is exactly what she had in her ranks and didn't realize it. Now, this woman was supposed to help her co-host and she was cracking jokes, throwing barbs. And every time one of the other panelists asked her a question or disagreed with her in some capacity, there was a problem. Now the, top, the topic was about, are there any good men out there? And the problem with this, you know, you had all of the different opinions, right? But there was more emotion than there was logic in their conversation. And that's what led to the escalation and people 
disagreeing with each other, calling each other names and arguing. Well, about halfway through this mess, things started going left. Now, the reason why I'm talking about this in particular is because she just called me. And we had a conversation about it. And I was trying to explain to her, I know you want to go out and be altruistic and do the right thing so that other people will be treated fairly. But here's the thing that you have to remember about hosting a show. Same thing I used to do in radio. The real podcast. And that was, you had to go out and carry everything, carry the weight of the show on your shoulders. Your guests and everyone else, there are components that assist you along. When you get to a point that you have a show where your guests are the only reason why people are tuning into your show, you're in bad shape. A lot of people don't like hearing that. But it's true. Because this means that what happens if you can't book a guest? You can't carry the show. You won't carry the numbers. The people are not interested. Because they find that the subject matter you talk about, the content that you talk about, is not as engaging. Now, I've already talked to this young lady about her marketing strategy with the things you don't know thing, because people use that on TikTok all the time. They go on Wikipedia and act like they're damn scientists, or they go on YouTube and watch a video and think that they know everything. I'm telling you, these people source things without doing the research and due diligence. You have to. You have to do your research. The things I talk about, I post on facebook.com backslash romantic truth. So you can read along, form your own opinion. Because see, the difference is, she was trying to shape opinions on her show, and that's why I told her she was making a mistake. People come to your show with opinions, and they're going to believe those opinions because those opinions have more credibility than you would ever have being someone strange to them. So the only thing you can do is provide certain information. They could consider it, but what do most people do with new information? They put it in the toolbox of their components of their own personal beliefs. They don't wipe the slate clean and become a loyal disciple of you, a follower. This is the very reason why I tell each of you listeners, I don't need you as a follower. Subscribe to the show, fine. I don't mind that at all. But the one thing I want you to do is to be able to think on your own and keep the values and everything you already have. And just consider some of the things that I speak about if it pertains to you only. That's it. I share some of the stories these people share with me about some of the trials and tribulations they're going through in dating and relationships. I give my opinion on it. Some of you can identify with those problems. Others of you cannot because it's totally foreign. But here's the thing I want you to understand. I want you to be your own leader. I don't want to lead you. That's not my job. I got too much to deal with in leading my own life. 
But some people are doing it for self-aggrandizement. This young lady, I don't think, is doing it for that purpose. I think she's actually doing something because she really feels the need to do this. I think that she has a passion for it. But the thing is, she's going through the bruises, aches, and pains now of trying to get things together to be on the right track with it. And eventually she'll get it right. But the one thing that I was stressing to her when she called today was, first, get rid of the panel. Just get rid of them all together. Because you can go to any TikTok page. You can go to any... You remember when Clubhouse was the big thing? Nobody's even talking about it now. Twitter Spaces was a big thing. Nobody's talking about it now. And you just go from one platform to the other with the same group of people talking the same chatter. Hundreds of them. There was one... Um, which one platform I was on, I forgot which, which one it was, I was invited to to be a panelist. And I looked on there and that person had 75 people on that panel. There's no way in the hell I was going to even think about it. Because here's the thing. What you're dealing with with that also is a lot of low self-esteem as well. People who want to be heard. Even though the argument may not be one that makes any sense, they want the airtime. They want to be there. I only fire up this mic if it's something that I can assist you with or I think that maybe I could share it with you and it could enlighten someone or help someone along the way. All well and good. Outside of that, as far as personal self-aggrandizement, hell, I could have made a podcast about the music that I made. I could have made it all about me. I barely even talk about that. Something I do. If you want to listen, fine. But that's not going to be the turnstile of my life. So, what it comes down to, folks, is that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, know your audience first, the people that are going to listen to you, the content. Stay away from all of these people that want you to attend their seminars and all this other shit. They're out for money. As I told you, anything that involves your own creativity is free. The only thing you have to do is research it. And believe me, you'll be a pro at it. I remember when I went to the Columbia School of Broadcasting years ago. The one thing that my instructor, because they had one-on-one... And I was just with Ford Michael. And he told me, he said, here's the thing. You got to be yourself. Learn as much as you can. He said, you got to come here with talent. We can't make you talented. So in that regard, you hone your talent. You learn how to use the tools. And then you go for it. Don't pay anyone to try to give you talent. And that even includes marketing. Look, you have platforms that will take care of the distribution of your show. And I know a lot of them say, well, you know, you just go on and you can just go and be a guest on someone else's show and you can boost your numbers. But see, a lot of these people are doing it out of desperation because they want money because they've lost their jobs, they quit their jobs, 
they want to make this fortune online. But guess what they don't have? They're empty. They don't have a passion for what they do. They have a passion for money. And there's a distinction. With follow through. That's the reason why I can talk about subject. That more than likely, if I was on a major network, <laughs> nobody would talk about that. And it's funny, I get these uh, uh, podcast gurus now, you know, these people that are, oh, you know, we've been doing podcasts over 40 years. No, you haven't. Because the technology hasn't been around 40 years, you lying ass. But this is what they write, this is what they send you out stuff. Because they're expecting you to be some young, dumb kid that's willing to just show his, throw his money away. I average about 100 new subscribers a month. That's cool. When we spin, when we play the uh, podcast, on average about four listeners a day. Four to about six listeners a day. Now, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like a lot of people. But you have to remember, different people, different days, for the same segment or the same episode. So you may have a person who's got a heavy work week. And being that the show is done daily, they're not going to be able to listen in every day. They have other things going on in their lives. But the thing is, they can come back and listen to a show that I did back in August or September. But see, it doesn't bother me as far as that because I don't equate my ego or anything that's associated with me that would damage my pride with this particular endeavor. This is something that's coming from the heart. It's not coming from the sleeve. So in essence, this has more to do with my mind than my heart, my feelings. I'm sharing with you some of the tools that will help and that you can use or discard at your leisure. But the good thing about it is that it's up to you because you're the one that's in control of your life, nobody else. Now, doesn't it feel good to listen to a podcast when you have a person who's not trying to control you, not trying to force you to do something, not trying to get you to do something, to follow their beliefs? I want you to have your own beliefs, your own opinions. Because if you don't, you're in worse shape than you think you are. But this is just a compliment and a help you in some of your endeavors in life. That's the reason why I don't classify myself as a dating coach, life coach, or any other coach. Because usually what I find is that people that have been through traumatic experiences, they love that label. I have a close friend of mine that's a therapist. She told me, whatever I do, never to call her a life coach. And she's got all kind of degrees, all kind of training in psychiatry, psychology. She knows the in and out. 
tried to get her on the show. She's like, I don't have time. Sorry, I'm just busy with my clients. She was the one that was trying to talk me into going to get my PhD to become a therapist. And I, not if, if you don't have time for the show, I know damn well if I became a therapist, I wouldn't have time for the show either. It's not going to work. And plus, I don't want to be involved in other people's problems that deep. But this is just to give you an idea on things because a lot of times people look at it from the standpoint unless you think and believe as I do this is the only way it can be no not necessarily that's the way you would like for it to be but not the way it's going to be or is you're not being recalcitrant but as I've told you before what don't Americans like they don't like being told what to do right We could just look at something as the aversion of those that didn't want the mask on their faces. Now, folks, in the next segment, we're going to get into the topic. It's a heavy one. And what I decided to do was break this up into several different uh, segments and categories. No fouls. Hi everyone, Johnson with you here, Romantic Truth Las Vegas. Now we're going to talk about a very touchy subject. Subconscious racism in dating when it comes to preferences. Oh yeah, we're going there. We're going there. Because many of you have written in to the show about this particular subject matter and we're going to talk about it. Now, this is a monolith of a conversation. So we're going to break it up into different segments. And we're going to talk about different aspects of it. But let's start with the fundamentals. Why do we have our preferences and our biases? Well, there are a lot of things that create that. One, fears. The other, the unknown. The other is a lack of relevance. Or then the other is a bias based on past experiences, someone else's experience, something of that nature. Now, we all have biases, so we can't sit here and lie and act like we are these egalitarians that believe that everybody's on equal footing with us. You have a bias, if you're a Christian, you probably have a bias towards another Christian over someone who's of another faith or no faith at all. Same thing when it goes for language. People discriminate based on language skills. I know I do. I'm honest with it. If a person is using English as a second language, I don't put them under scrutiny. If you're here in the United States and can't speak proper English, and you were born here, you had the same opportunity as anyone else, 
I don't think less of you. I just think that you and I are not suitable to be together. And that's the whole thing. You see, you have people sometimes who feel as though they've been disenfranchised in a way and therefore any rejection is terminal rejection for them. They feel that they may be rejected and speculatively based on race, based on physical appearance. It could be a multitude of things. And the physical appearance may not even be one of the things that you're discriminated against. You don't know. So when you're left to speculate, all kind of things can run through your head. Now, I'm going to read an email from a lady who's 41 years old. She's out of Gary, Indiana. That's where she was born. And then she relocated to Seattle, Washington. She's 40 years of age, African-American. And while in Seattle, she started to date. And this is what she received. I've been in Seattle now for three and a half weeks, and I'm still trying to get used to the feel of the place. Kind of dreary, kind of depressing, but it's better than being in Ohio. At least I can see the ocean. Thank God for that. My only problem is I'm having an issue when it comes down to dating. I'm originally from Gary, Indiana, and back there, it was uncommon for me to date a black man. It was usually white men that were attracted to me. I stayed in Ohio for a short period of time, and it was the same result. It wasn't a big thing. Believe it or not, the racial issue never came up, or at least not in my purview. Here in Seattle, I've gone on one date since I've been here, and this guy tells me that I need to get the ghetto out of me before we can start dating. I don't know what that means. And I asked him about that. And he told me, you know how you people are. You know how you act when you're around your friends. I took this as an insult and I ended the day. If this is what I'm going to be faced with in Seattle, it looks like I'm going to have to start dating people from other states. What are your thoughts on this? Would love to hear them. Naomi. Seattle, Washington. Naomi, what has happened is you're what is called socially displaced. It's not a negative thing. What that means is that people will be expecting you in a certain stereotypical role with certain characteristics and certain habits and certain behavior that you don't identify with. And therefore, he's going to try to make you fit into that mold. But what you have to come to grips with is that you are not going to fit that because of one thing. The reason why you're not going to fit it is because you see in his mind he can't expand it past the stereotype. So being with someone like him would be a detriment to you. He would hold you back from going forward in life. Then he would help you. He has nothing to offer than that. You will basically go through remedial steps trying to develop that relationship. 
things that you wouldn't have to go through that you haven't gone through back in Gary, Indiana, back in Ohio. So in essence, what has happened here, you would be doing yourself a disservice by even entertaining him or dating him. That's the reason why you did the right thing by leaving because it wasn't worth rehashing. And you will run across people like this. They have this circle and this square, being you, has to fit in it. And sometimes you don't. And when you don't, they can't function with that reality. Because in their mind, you're not supposed to think that way. You're not supposed to be that way. It happened when I wrote that screenplay and took it to Paramount Studios. My friend was talking, bigging himself up about how much cloud he had on the lot. Until I met the executive producer of the show, who was a gay white male, who had a certain opinion about black people, including the friend that got me on the lot. Oh, he thought high of himself, but the thing was, his boss didn't think much, didn't think that high of him. And when I got there, and he tells me that after he read the treaty and the synopsis, you didn't write this. I said, what the hell do you mean I didn't write? I had this first 10 pages of the script there and everything. He says, black people can't think like this. They don't think that high. And he proudly sat back in his high back chair with his little rainbow sticker on his desk. Now, mind you, this was also during the time when that proposition for gay marriage in California failed. And the Republicans, of course, blamed it on the Democrats. But in reality, what happened, a lot of Republican politicians went to the black churches and riled them up about how the gays are going to take over to get them to go to the polls to vote against gay rights. And of course, that was an extension of his disdain, along with the fact that I was, of course, black and heterosexual. But here's the thing. I wasn't going to let that deter me. I wound up selling the script anyway. Didn't make as much money as I would have from the studio. But hell, it sold. That was all that mattered for a pretty good amount of money just to start out with nothing but just ink, typewriter, and a sheet of paper. But here's the thing you have to think about. Someone can be so biased that they will do a disservice to themselves. You could have probably made some money off the script if they would have produced it, or if they would have just acquired it as a property. You never know. But one thing we do know is this. Sometimes that prejudice and that bias that you have, it also thwarts opportunities for you. There was a lady I knew years ago. We used to go out to different spots. And this one particular time she went out and I thought it was kind of interesting. After going out to this event, there was a white gentleman that found her interesting. She was African-American, very attractive woman. And she didn't care for me. And she 
didn't care for this white guy that was pursuing her. Well, she got with this other dude. And the guy, he looked kind of young and urban. When I say urban, I'm talking about the hat backwards, the t-shirt on and the sagging pants. And she was dressed rather conservatively. She was a nurse. They hooked up. And then we started seeing them at other mixers together. And I thought that was kind of odd, being that they're a couple. They shouldn't be going to singles mixers anymore, I'm thinking. And they showed up at this one down in Long Beach, and they were there together. And then they separated, and they went their own ways. And so she comes over to me, and we do our quadro niceties. And I say, well, I guess you're happy. And she says, hmm. I don't even want to talk about it. And I asked her what was going on, and she didn't want to go into detail, but she just said, we're just friends. Well, I knew what that meant, of course. They had slept together. They realized that there was no relationship. There was no there there afterwards, so they started going there. Well, she started kicking herself, and she started talking about this guy that she had met at the mixer when we were there and when I first met her. And she said, you know, I really should have talked to him. But I'm just not into white guys. And I asked her, I said, well, since you weren't into white guys, why, why do you think you should have talked to him? She said, well, it would have avoided some of the things I had to deal with him. Talking about the guy that she was with. Well, eventually, she opened up. She couldn't hold her tongue anymore. She was taking care of him. He didn't have a place to stay. She moved him in. She got him some clothes, gave him some money. But he wasn't progressing after that. He still wanted to pursue his dream of being a rapper. And she thought she could change him. And she started talking about how now she's starting to lose friends because she's bringing them around. And what she told them to do was at that mixer, along with herself, was to find someone else of interest. And she had also given him a time period in order to get out of her place. Now, what was funny she wanted to exchange numbers at that point. Now, this is months later from when we first met. And we exchanged phone numbers. We went out to dinner once. And I knew as she spoke during dinner, we were not compatible. And the interesting thing was this. She started going after the guy that she had turned down the white guy but he was married at the time she had missed out on an opportunity she eventually wound up with this guy living with her for years eventually he went to jail for something she moved. Good riddance. Now, I haven't talked to her since 2007. 
So I don't know how she's doing now. Don't know if she still has the same email address or phone number. But what's interesting is that in that ordeal, by her limiting herself, she shot herself in the foot. So it can work against you that way. And it can work against you if you try to reach for something that may not be what you think it is, based on race and ethnicity and background. You see, the one thing that we all have to come to grips with, racism is overt and covert. And you see it mainly covert. In the past, it was overt. People call you N-word. Um, you had majority rule at that time. You don't have that now. So, <clears throat> how do people discriminate now, on dating sites especially? They do it by eye color, hair color. Because some of the sites are taking away the racial preference category. Or they may do it by zip code. So instead of looking for someone in the greater Los Angeles area, they may put down these area the zip code for Simi Valley or for Torrance or for Glendale La Quinata Flint Ridge in order to minimize the probability of attracting or even having someone in the search that they're not interested in there's some people that actually become offended if they do a search and a person that they may not deemed socially desirable shows up. Whether they're black, whether they're fat, whether they're old, whether they're bald, whether they're in a certain age group, whether they're in a certain location. It depends. Because again, you have all of these factors to legitimately discriminate against someone, to filter them out. Unfortunately, you have some people, and I heard one of these uh, power life coaches. Whenever I hear the word power in something, when it comes down to some sort of podcast or whatever, I, I don't listen. I just don't. Been underwhelmed too much and disappointed too much with it. It's usually an indoctrination type of uh, situation. And I could be wrong on all of the accounts, but guess what? I'm not going to sit there and listen to many of them because I've listened to so many, and that's what it came down to. Group think, brainwashing, shot everybody else down with a different opinion. Don't need it. Now, here's the thing, too. There's a group of people out there who think that they're supposed to be accepted by everyone regardless. And where they get the waters muddied is that they believe that what happens on the social side of things, where you can sue for discrimination for a job or something like that, that you could do the same thing for a person's personal preference, and you can't. That's the one era of area of privacy that we have at our disposal, where we could be the way we want. And then you have some people who will shout that they're being discriminated against and turn around and discriminate against others. I had a black lady that didn't want to date me because I was not dark enough. And she only did it dark-skinned black men. And yet, she would date 
a white man. And of course, they could always say that, hey, it has to do with your skin color, your tone, but it really has to do with you. See, this is the thing, and this is the mixed messages that you'll receive. A person may discriminate against you, and they may not give you the rationale and the reason why they did it. They'll give you something else. Superficial. Oh, you know, I'm just not in the mood for dating right now. Or like one lady, it cracked me up, a friend of mine, he told me, he said, uh, yeah, she's not into black guys. Talking about this one lady at this club that went to down in Orange County. And I said, I find that kind of funny. I said, and I said, you sure? He was like, yeah, why why you say? I said, look at her ankle. And he looked down and she had a Queen of Spades. She had the Queen of Spades logo. I had QOS under the Spade logo on her ankle. And he's like, well, what does that mean? I said, well, she's Queen of Spades, which means she is into black men, she's just not into you. No, she don't like black. She said she don't like black guys. Who was she dancing with the whole night? Another black guy. Who was she talking with the whole night? Another black guy. He wasn't the one she was looking for. And you will see this happen more often than you think. And he got upset and I said, well, would you really want her? Would you really want somebody that doesn't want you? What are you trying to do? Let your pride take over? Your logic? Pride is emotional. Where are you going to go with it? Even if you got in a relationship with her. Then you'd be running, chasing the carrot, trying to keep her, right? Trying to please her at every turn you possibly can. Is it worth it? And he thought about it and he said, no, it's not. Because he was going to go over and confront the woman. Man, don't worry about that. You can't make anyone love you or like you. No matter how bad you want them, they have to want you back. And this is the reality that a lot of people don't want to face. You're not liked, you're not wanted. And accepting that, some people look at that as a terminal situation, like a life sentence. We'll talk more in a moment. Now, I posted an article that was in Glamour magazine about uh, this very subject that we're talking about. You can read it on facebook.com backslash romantic truth. And you'll look at some of the different dynamics. Usually, minorities are discriminated against based on physical characteristics. And usually... Women are more racist than men when it comes down to not choosing. Now, the other thing, too, is this. It's long been held that black men have been the easiest men to date out of their race. Believe it or not, it's white men. Black men are second. Because of the fact that they could go and get into an interracial relationship get out of that interracial relationship and still have retained a value even with white women. You will find that black men who do this, 
interracially. And some black women, they find out you've been with a white woman, they don't want to have anything to do with you, or a woman of a different race. They will even ask you, in some cases, what were the races of the women you've ever dated. Now, the thing, though, that's different is this as well. What is the most common thing that black men are sought out for by women of other races, especially white women? Their dick. Sexual value. In other cases, political value. Not always the case. If you look back at Black Lives Matter movement, when we had Trump in office and they were doing the riots and everything because of George Floyd. You saw these dating sites do what? Come up with these badges for white uh, Black Lives Matter, right? Now, here's the thing. There were white women who had those badges on their profiles and they were being discriminated and catching help from other white men for that being uh, part of it, of having that on their profile. And they would exclude them. And there were black men who were approached by some of these women in an effort to prove that they weren't racist. But it was more of a social reconciliation for them than it was about love or relationship in some cases. And there are some people that are genuinely don't care about your race. They just want to be loved. And what's really ironic, the majority of women that have found that thought like this, from my experience only, have been women that are not in the United States. Canada, Russia, China, Philippines, Mexico, Cuba. I've never been to Cuba, but I've had women to contact me from there in regards to a relationship. Puerto Rico, where I've been. And what I found was that it was pretty interesting, that dynamic. When I traveled, one thing that I noticed was that when I traveled throughout Africa, when I went to Tanzania, went down to Botswana, I think it was in Botswana for like two days or three days. I was in Johannesburg for a while. The people were very friendly. And one thing that I noticed throughout my travels in the African continent, there was not this animosity or angst there that you find in African-American women here in the United States. You didn't find that frustration there. And you didn't find that entitlement either. And of course, in every country, you have different cultures, different tribes, different beliefs. And it was funny in South Africa when I was walking around there was a few people that walked up to me and they started speaking in a language thinking that I was part of their tribe. It's a common thing. People will do that. 
but it made me feel welcome as well. Now, it's not that women overseas are better than American women, but the thing is, there's a different set of values. Because we have this thing called capitalism that we put at the forefront in this country. The almighty U.S. dollar. And with that, our behavior is impacted based on that premise. There are women that will only marry a man for his money. And so they get by the racial bias by saying, well, he's wealthy. But for a guy that was poor, they would want him to be her same ethnicity. But then you have others that are looking for a social showpiece. I knew one African-American woman that was doing very well in the legal profession. And she married a poor Caucasian male. This guy was barely making ends meet. But to her, it was a status symbol. Having a handsome white man that other white women would desire. That was like a social equalizer that made the black men jealous. And she would tell me, this is my answer to black men with white women. Because she had had bad relationships with black men, so she wanted some sort of redemption. And this was the method in which she did it. Now, I didn't agree with that because the guy was being used. But she was happy. That's all that mattered. We're going to try to sit there and convert her out at nothing. Oh, you chose it. You chose the guy. More power to you. But see, visually, people sometimes have an aversion to what they would like to do. And they may not see it from the perspective of it being acceptable to them. So if they were to see an interracial couple and they can't find anybody in their own race, they may think of that person as, you're taking my partner away from me. But again, you have to ask yourself, even within your own race, would you want to be with that person with that low of a self-esteem? Probably not. So even if you were approached by that person and that person of the different race was not even your partner, you'd probably bypass that individual anyway. Again, a sense of entitlement. We don't like to look at it that way, but that's what it comes down to. I ran that same problem on the opposite end when I was dating Tina. White guy told me straight up, you don't deserve her. As if there was some kind of social pecking order where, you know, he was going to meet out who deserved who. You will get this. You will get this from people. Let's see, when we talk about the algorithms with these dating apps, it only reflects the things that you have set as your preferences. You know how we don't like looking in the mirror at ourselves sometimes? We don't like looking at the AI data 
when we have chosen things and realize what we chose. Some of you have gone on Amazon and purchased things, and then you go back and you look and you see, buy again. And you're saying to yourself, oh no, I don't ever want that product again. That thing was horrible. It's that reminder. Well, sometimes that's the way we look at our searches on dating sites. You may have had a bad experience with a person of a different race, ethnicity, background, you name it. Therefore, we try to filter them out. I knew one guy that would not date a woman that didn't have blonde hair. And he was white. He discriminated against other white women. So if there was a redhead, a dishwater blonde, dirty blonde, he didn't want to have nothing to do with them. She had to be platinum. That's all he would deal with. So as you see, you're subjective, whether you like it or not, you're subjective to whatever the requirements is for that other, that person. But here's what you have to remember. Just because you like that person doesn't mean that that's the only person on the face of the earth that looks like that, that could possibly like you. You're just happy because you found what you wanted and you're thinking, I got to do whatever I can in order to keep this because I really like this. Not necessarily if that person is not reciprocal. You just let your feelings get hurt and trampled on. And no matter what you try to do, it's not going to work for them. Because if they said no the first time, even if they reconsidered, they still have doubt. Because they've already expressed it the first time around. But I know we believe in redemption and we believe in forgiveness and all this other stuff. That works well in, in those scriptures. But let's deal with the reality of life. You're not going to find people that are so flexible. I get criticized on the show a lot for being so rigid, so binary, so black and white, so yes, no. And the reason for that is because, not because I'm setting my ways, it's because I've already gone through experiences where I know more than likely what the outcome's going to be from past experience. And therefore, why go through that experience again? Or I've seen others go through it. Why would I want to go through that again? You know, it's like uh, what a friend told me one time when they were in Alaska. Tide came in, took the person's boat out, and then the tide receded. So he got out of the boat and started walking back, trying to drag the boat to shore. And he got stuck in a mudflat. Very deep. And he struggled, he struggled to try to get out, couldn't get out. And finally, the people were able to get him out, but they weren't able to go out there and get the boat. So what happens? He gets out of the mudflat. And then he says, I got to go get my boat. And he goes back out there and he gets stuck again and he drowns. And the water came back in. Folks, you don't want to be that kind of person. You can choose to if you'd like. 
but it's not recommended. At least I wouldn't recommend it if you ask me. Why go through the same heartache and experience that you've already gotten out of? Thinking it's going to get better doing the same thing. Now, another thing that was revealed in 2014, of course, with the Cupid study, which eventually was taken down because of the fact that people were so offended by it. But it was the truth. People were offended by the truth. Black males, black females, Asian males were the least sought. And from some of the reports I saw from the data derived from that, Asian males discriminated based on height. Black women discriminated against, believe it or not, on low self-esteem and behavior. Black males discriminated against based on several other things. Associative qualities. In other words, black men more associated with crime and violence. Stereotypes. So, in that regard, there was some validity to those arguments as to why these people weren't choosing them. But here's the thing. A lot of people took offense to that and couldn't accept the truth. You know, there was a lady that wrote a book about her being fat, and she was an African-American woman. And she was well aware that she'd be discriminated against because of her size and her race, as far as dating. I talked about how difficult it was. She finally found love, but it took her a while. And what she had to do was put her feelings in check and not giving someone that kind of control over them or just because they rejected her before her physical appearance and her race that that was going to be the catch-all end-all the final judgment on her I remember one lady in particular she dated a Hispanic man went out with him a few times and they were incompatible because he was more of a traditionalist He wanted the woman at home. He wanted to work. He wanted her to just cook, clean, wash, and give him sex. Well, she wasn't down for that. So she comes out of the relationship talking about how Hispanic men are racist. And I said, no, that's not the case at all. Oh, yeah, they are, they are. I said, well, I have relatives that are Latin. And guess what? They're not like that. Well, that's the exception, but that's not the rule. Because I said, so the rule is set by one date, one relationship that you have with this guy. And I said, you're going to go through life with that flat opinion. Well, yeah, I said, what you got to remember is that there are segments of every population that are separatists. There are segments of every population that are egalitarians. There are separate there are segments in every population that are extremists. You have some black folks that will only date black people. You have some black folks that will only date Hispanic, only date Asian, only date white. Just like you have some whites that will only date Asian and white women. 
And by the way, when it comes to the most sought women, white women, number one, Asian, number two, and then Hispanic women, number three, black women, number four. And they squeezed Native American in there between Asian and uh, black women. But these are stereotypes that society has established for us over the years that we have to work through. And what that means primarily is that I think where people are messing it up, they are trying to prove themselves to people that are relevant. Trying to prove yourself to be with someone to like you on a dating site is ridiculous if they don't like you makes no sense so why don't you go for the person who accepts you as you are and they don't make us think about it that person that chooses you they know you are a certain race or a certain background a certain ethnicity why question it they actually made a choice and then it's up for you to figure out whether or not they have an agenda or whether or not they're genuinely looking for a relationship. And sometimes we don't like doing that because we would rather paint the picture in large strokes. It makes it much easier for us to come up with stereotypes and that kind of thing. It's just like we are canning food and then we're writing on the can what that food is and we're putting it up on the shelf. As if all of them are going to be on the different shelves that we put them on. But what happens if the shelf breaks and then they're all scattered about? You actually gotta read again and see where what goes where, right? But that's what we have to do with people sometimes. We have to get to know them. Gotta read the label. Instead of putting a label on them and putting it up there. You go to the store and you buy pork and beans and it says Vandicamp pork and beans. It already came to you as to what it is. If you put it in your basket, apparently you want it, right? Well, the same rule applies with people. There's a lady in Siberia that I really, really admire. She admires me. And this has been going on for a while. And we can communicate better than some of the women I've dated here in the States that I've had relationships with. And that's scary. That's really scary. It's scary in the context of I'm in proximity with people here. And she's way over there. Even when I was traveling and meeting women along the way and having my little fun, one thing that I realized large percentage of those women I still have friendships with. A large percentage of those women, if I needed a place to go to or a place to stay, my door is always open. 
reciprocal. Because these were genuine people. And the one thing we didn't have in our way was that whole thing about how much money you make. A lot of these men are going overseas with, to meet these women, to marry them, and to date them on the premise that, hey, you call a guy broke in the U.S. who makes about twenty-four, twenty-five thousand a year, well, he'll make about that much going somewhere else overseas. As long as he could secure his income, he goes over there, and he's better appreciated. A lot of these guys are doing it now. They have a sense of family, sense of unity. They're not alienated like they are here. Now I'm not trying to get empathy for them, but I'm just telling you the way it is. There's one guy, bless his heart, he just got to the Philippines a few years ago. And he goes on to TikTok and he's giving guys advice about coming over, getting a girlfriend, getting a wife, living a life and he's telling them the do's don'ts the goods the won'ts the bad along with the good some of the compromises they'd have to make and he's giving them a realistic view of what it's like to live there well one thing that you have at your advantage is you don't run across a lot of people that are angry A lot of people that are single-mindedly focused on becoming rich. It's not about being better. And that's where we mess up because as Americans, we always think about competition. Sometimes it's about being different. Sometimes it's about that. And sometimes you have to be different in order to be happy. I can tell you right now, a good percentage of you are single because of groupthink. If you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing, you're probably getting the same results they are. Maybe you should try being yourself. See how that works. You go on many of these dating apps, one of the props that I see so many people put on their men and women. Be yourself. Be yourself. And there's a reasoning for that. Because a lot of people aren't themselves. They're trying to be larger or more than they are. And they don't like themselves. And that's an indi indicator. When a person sees that. Why could I be with you? Because you would never like me because you don't like yourself. So how the hell that's going to work? More in a moment. All right, now let's face some other things about this whole preference thing. One of them being that 
Overall, folks, we have to face a few things. There are many reasons why people will put one race above another. Socioeconomics, it could be a whole bunch of other things. Skin color can play a role as well. And depending on the individual's value system, and those value systems a lot of times are based on exposure, based on upbringing, based on the way they may feel about themselves. Now, here is the thing that I would tell you and suggest to you, more so than anything. If you see this, some of you don't want to see it, but if you see this, you have a better understanding of what you'll be faced with as far as being discriminated against. It's going to happen. And sometimes people who have been discriminated against categorically based on race, social, economic situations, they may take it a little bit harder when it comes down to the rejection because they've already had negative results from society in general. And therefore, being that it's even culminated in their personal lives for their desires and their wants and aspirations, it's like a double blow of negativity. So, the best way to do it is not to put your feelings on your sleeve. Let me tell you something. Working in the media, if I had my feelings on my sleeves, I'd be a mess right now. Even from some of the things you guys write into this show that I don't even air. Yeah, I have feelings. I'm a human being just like everyone else. But the difference is, I know how to separate a person's anger from how it pertains to me. I learned that as an early young man in my life, as a child. I want you to imagine coming into a society like Mississippi and white people hating you, certain white people hating you, based on your very existence, just because you exist. You haven't offended anybody, you haven't hurt anybody. You don't know why you're being called the N-word. You don't know why you're being treated a certain way. And then you have to look at it, and then when you start to realize that, okay, there are people who are treating me this way. And there are people who are the same color these people are who are not. So you know then that it's not a pandemic. And so you start to adjust accordingly. And I did not allow that to color my judgment. One thing I found when I started attending church, AME churches and so forth, African Methodist Episcopal Church and so forth. I understood the struggle of the church in that Richard Allen was removed from what is now today the United Methodist Church because he was black and the white parishioners didn't want to pray with the blacks way back in Philadelphia during the 1700s, I mean 1600s. But here's the thing. 
even with that, I noticed a lot more bias. And it got to a point where I saw myself being indoctrinated into something that didn't quite add up as I saw it. And here was the difficulty I had. I'm in a black church, and the guy that's in the Bible doesn't look anything close to being black. Okay, I could accept that. That's not a problem. But here's the problem I had. The very people that kicked you out of the church, you're still praying to the same entity. And the very premise of you even having this religion on your tongue had to do with the whip being on your back. This is not something that ancestors brought over. This is something that was acquired after we were here. Now, what this meant was that the slave owners had to transfer their fears onto the slave in order to be empowered. And the slave was under the impression that they had to go through the white owners, the masters, in order to get to God. That was the difficulty I had. The reason why we all had the features we have, apparently, in the different reaches of the world in which we originated from, was due primarily for us to have all of the cosmetic features we needed to survive in those environments. It's only obvious. However, again, we look at this and we look at where the origins were from and we're saying, okay, as we understand it, in the Middle East, eventually the religion spread to Europe, which eventually wound up going into Africa and going into the slaves here in the U.S. All right, said and done. The only thing I look at, though, I'm just going to be straight up with you for me, and I don't mean to offend any Christians or any religious people. If God was so mighty and powerful and so good as people say, why do we have what we have today? And I know the argument has always been, oh, well, you know, he wants us to play this game where we got to prove to him like children that we, come on, save it. That's human rationalization. That's a qualification that we use that is not even valid. It's speculative. We all were born on this earth. We don't know how we got here. That we can all admit. We know we got here probably through sex, but we don't know what nut we came out of, what actual sperm cell that we were in. We don't know any of that. Only we know we're here. And then we acquire these things in life in order to cope with it as we go along. Some people go into religion, other people go into alcohol, other people go into something to preoccupy them. 
and some people go into denial as a preoccupier. It depends. There's nothing wrong with that because every one of us should have a coping tool of some sort in life, even reality. And as we go through this, these things that we acquire are the very things that separate us. And some of the things that separate us have nothing to do with us being put on this earth. People being discriminated against because they have red hair. They couldn't control that. That's what they were born with. But yet people don't like them for that particular basis. Height, weight, it could be a lot of things. Genetics. And of course, when we put things such as money and success and wealth behind that, oh, we stack the deck high, don't we? And we don't realize as we stack the deck high on the requirements that we want and the preferences, we also discriminate against ourselves. It makes us less desirable to other people. And we don't realize that sometimes. Sometimes we are discriminated against by other people and we think that we should be the ones that are really on the top of the heap. I'll never forget, and I've talked about this before, the lady that I met out in Santa Monica that time at the restaurant, I believe it was at Kukuru's. She looked like she could run for public office in a southern town and with no problem. Platinum blonde, beautiful woman, older. My perception of her when I met her was that she was a racist. Why? Because I was conditioned that way when I was back in Mississippi. The women I saw who looked like her, they didn't like us. And so when she started the conversation, even though she had the southern draw, the southern accent, I was like, wait a minute. I stereotyped this woman. And I'm thinking to myself, she probably stereotyped me. But she was the one who opened up with the conversation. And then we started talking. And then we wound up dating later on. But on the very premise, I was wrong for making a judgment acting like I read the book and only looked at the cover. And we do this a lot with people. Sadly, we do this. And the reason why we do this is because it's a protection for us. It's a protection from getting hurt, being disappointed. And in some cases, to kind of predetermine our fate. One thing I can truly say as a human being, there are many things that I don't know, and I'm glad I don't. You know why? Because that's what gives the fuel for me to learn. But here's the thing also, 
You have to be careful about what you learn and who you learn it from. Because you could be taken in so many different directions. It's pathetic. I had a friend of mine that joined a church one time and I kept telling him because he was telling me about some of the things that was going on. The scriptures were being changed. And I said, you really need to take a look at that. And then he said, oh, no, you know, he's got a different take on things with his interpretation of the Bible. Well, okay, you just got to keep an eye on that. And then before it was over with, some of the people in the congregation wanted to break off and keep the, everything the way it was. And the pastor wanted to move on. Well, the majority of people went with the pastor, and so did my friend. And as he went on with this pastor, he got expelled from their church, started his own. And then it got to a point where he was having his own fiefdom. All the women would come after church and clean up his house. They would help the wife cook meals. In other words, more personal servitude. And he didn't let up off of the tithes. Oh, he wanted more tithes. Instead of 10, he wanted 20%. They gladly gave it to him. Well, eventually he realized that, hey, I need more congregants because he had a small church. And so he talked all of this about expanding and building this big church and they had this building fund. They had the architectural pictures of the new church they were planning on building. It's 2022, that church has never, not one brick, not one piece of lumber has ever been cut to build that new church. Well, eventually the church ended on the death of this uh, pastor. And a lot of congregants wanted, where did all that money go? Just like my friend did. So you have to watch who you follow. This is the reason why I tell you as someone who shares my life experiences, the one thing that I can tell you, if nothing else, if you don't get nothing else out of all of these podcasts I do, I want you to be your own leader in your life. It's okay to take things, tools along the way to help you in life, but you're making your own path. Be careful who you follow in life. Because some of those people may lead you to nowhere. And you'll come out of that coma years later. What the hell did I do with my life? And that includes relationships, marriages, friendships. You have to be situationally aware of where you're going in life. A lot of people don't like thinking about that because they want to keep their head down because they're looking for someone else to guide them and lead them and take them by the hand.
you know, we as people feel good when we're rescued by other people. I was watching, um, I survived on A&E the other night. And this lady had a horrific situation that she went through. She was a waitress who came off work. She got into a car and two guys got in with her. One guy pulled a knife on her. They took her to this remote location. They had their way with her. And she was begging them the whole time to let her go. And the one guy that was with her said, no, we got to kill you. And he asked her, how did she want to die? And she said, well, just make it quick. Well, the guy thought about it. He talked to the other guys. And they supposedly came up with a plan, but two of the guys wanted to go to the store to get some more provisions because they were out in the woods. Well, the guy with the knife that was left with her fell asleep. And she knew that was her opportunity. And wisely, she took the knife, and instead of stabbing him, which she could have killed him, she ran away. And her logic was, if he caught up with her, she was going to use the knife. Well, she got a good lead on him. By the time the guys get back, she's gone. They're angry. They're calling their name. They're trying to find her. She's hiding in the woods. And she eventually gets to this house. This person calls the police. Police comes. And she's saved. Now, throughout that brutal attack, she had been cut up. She had been beaten. And when it came down to surviving, they asked her the question, how did you survive? And she said, by my will to live. She said, I want to see my children again. I want to see my family again. And to her, that was her rescue. It wasn't the police that came. It was the fact that she had that so ingrained in her mind that what she was going to do was no matter what, she was getting home to see her kids. And that was a big focal point. Now, what we have to also consider is this. How you feel about yourself is how feel people will feel about you. And in turn, it will reflect on the way they treat you. Those of you who are in good relationships right now with your partner, you know why you're in there? Because you love yourself. Your partner sees that love resonating from you and they're returning it back. That's why you're happy. That's why you're in that relationship. Because you're comfortable. You're comfortable because the environment makes it that way for you because you found comfort in yourself first and it resonated out. 
think of you as like being the sun. The sun radiates heat, right? Now, the good thing about it, when the sun is not up and there's darkness on earth, what keeps us warm and keeps us from freezing the whole time? It's the molten hot core of the earth. That's what keeps us from being like the moon. So we have that at our advantage. So we have to understand one thing. The way as the sun, you reflect heat on people. Guess what? It warms them up to enjoy every time they see you. Every morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is open my eyes to look for the sun. Because as long as I see that, I look at it as a smile. Another day. Whereas waking the world up saying, hey, I'm back. Let's continue. And we have to do the same in life. Because that optimism you have every morning when you wake up, even though you hate going to your job, even though you hate all the things that are associated with it, there's a reason why you get up and do something going forward in your life every day. And it has to do with the fact that there's a motivation that something is going to come out better for you. It's called hope. And see, some people who have preferences that they don't feel other people deserve to be with them, some of them actually don't look at it from the perspective that other people should be happy too. So what they start to do is to downgrade everybody else to make themselves feel better. Now, we look at preferences also from the standpoint, not necessarily of a negative, but as a positive as well. We'll talk about that in the next segment. Now, when we talk about preferences on a positive basis, this is what I'm talking about. You know, when a person says, I don't, do marijuana, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do this, I don't do that. They're thinking about the health consciousness of themselves. The preservation of life. But they can also compile that with someone that has green eyes and brown hair. Someone that has a few extra pounds. Someone that has this or has that, they go on down the list. But what I'm trying to convey to you in this whole series here is that there is no entitlement for who you are to be liked or loved by someone else, no matter how hard you try. 
Only certain people will recognize who you are and what you're about. Only other people, only certain people will appreciate who you are and what you're about. And as long as you have that in your mind and you realize that, it helps you with the rejection. And I know if it's a constant thing because you're being rejected by a lot of people or whatever, it may seem as if the world has ended for you, but it hasn't. What that means is that you just have to look at a couple of things. One, why are they doing it? Two, who's doing it? You probably see some correlation there as far as the who side. It may be people that you may be attracted to that may not be attracted to you. And so you have to understand that your numbers in attracting that person are going to be a lot slimmer. What does that make you? That makes the person that you choose who has those characteristics that much more valued because of the fact that it was that much more difficult to be with that person. Like a diamond in the rough. And a person may feel as though, hey, you know, someone that has the characteristics you like and you have the characteristics they like and you're like, hey, boom. And the reason why these relationships work a lot better is because they had patience and they have chosen the characteristics that they want in that individual and that's why they work so well. And they just didn't get frustrated and just start randomly dating large quantities of people in those groups that they choose and getting the same result. The oddest thing for me was when I was in Europe. Being admired and liked by women that I would think in the United States would never give me the time of day because of my race. And then the first thing I thought, okay, since they got past the race hurdle, it must be the penis hurdle that's next. Didn't come up. They actually treated me like I was going to be a candidate for a relationship. And it's kind of ironic because uh, when I was in some of the Scandinavian countries, especially Iceland, the lady I went out with, she says, well, if we were to date and I were to come to the States, I'd have to see if you'd be a good boyfriend. And I'm thinking, all right, well, what does she mean a good boyfriend and I asked her specifically what she meant she says well I like you and all and I'm going to your hotel with you tonight and I'm thinking oh this is some easy chick type stuff didn't realize culturally this will happen and we had a wonderful warmth, and she was like well you know you need to come to Iceland. And I'm like, why? She didn't want to come to the U.S. because of what she saw on television about the violence and everything. And I said, well, it's not like that everywhere. 
She says, yes, but even in the rural areas, you guys have guns and you're always worried about shooting somebody or somebody's getting shot. And I didn't realize that that was a fear of many of the women and many of the people for that matter there because they didn't have the level of violence we had here. So it was a different perspective. But when it comes down to preferences, as I've said, there is no one set group of preferences. There's not a conspiracy against black women on OkCupid or any other dating site. There's not a conspiracy against black men. They're not a conspiracy against Asian males. What happens is you just got with on a platform with a people with the same sort of preferences in a majority. You might go to another dating site, maybe Hinge or somewhere else. It's a whole different thing. So it varies. Hell, I went into a bar one night and when I got into the bar, I was the only black person and they looked at me and the Confederate flag was up there behind the bar. Hell, I didn't know it was, you know, one of those type bars. They looked at me, I mean, the music stopped, people looked at me and I was like, damn. I was like, oh shit, wrong place. And here was what was interesting. I went into this place to meet a friend. And she showed up eventually. And then she said, oh, he's okay, he's cool. And the people started nodding and speaking. But what I had to realize was that I was a stranger to them, they were a stranger to me, and they're like, not too many black guys come in here. But they weren't rude or anything. The crazy thing, they were asking questions out of ignorance because they didn't know. So tell it, what, what's about the Crips and the Bloods? What is that about? Well, I'm not a Crip or a Blood, but I do have some friends who are into that lifestyle. They didn't understand. Totally alienated. I educated some, some didn't want to hear the answer. That was fine, but here was the thing that I was getting at. My friend didn't want to meet me there. And I told her, I said, why not? No, we can meet somewhere. No, let's meet there. I wanted to see the place where she was comfortable. Now, I would not want to be there on a Saturday night drunk by myself, by no stretch. But I had to come to a realization. I was not supposed to fit in every box. And sometimes that's the way it goes. I learned this later on in more of a vivid fashion by some of the friends I knew who were managing bars and nightclubs. And they would tell me, yeah, well, you know, we're going to change, the club's going to change up a bit. I'll still be here, but... We're going to change the music. 
because they were getting a rowdy crowd, so they moved it to jazz. Because they got tired of the hip-hop crowd coming in, breaking shit and tearing stuff up. Not because of the music, but because of individuals. And when that consistency happens over and over, they have to do something in order to modify it, to change it, so that they don't get fined by the police department, the fire department all the time. It's common sense. So no matter how we look at it, no matter how I talk about it, the problem still exists. But the only thing we're trying to do here is to have an understanding of why it exists and how to navigate through it. Because you won't be able to change the hearts and minds of people, they have to do that themselves. You can't legislate morality. You could try, but it's not going to work. We've seen that type of legislation in the South, in those Southern states. We had these stupid laws when you pissed off one city councilman, they'd come up with a law for it. It could just be one person that broke that law, one person that did something. And then it got ridiculous. We've gone through that already in our society. If anything that can be done in this country that needs to be done, and I'll give Biden credit, at least he started out with it. These people that got caught with marijuana, they weren't distributing it, they weren't a salesperson, they just had it and were smoking it. I don't have a problem with them releasing those prisoners. The people that we really need to have incarcerated are the murderers, the people who are egregious thieves, the serial killers. We still have one in California that's going around killing people left and right. Letting violent criminals out based on overcrowding and overpopulation Not so much. Having some of these criminals tell the parole officer, like the one guy did down in Texas, don't let me out because I'm going to do it again. They let him out. He did it again. Wound up back in and got electrocuted. I mean, not electrocuted, but the uh, lethal injection years ago. True enough, we have to abide by the law, whatever the law is. But I think instead of complaining about it, why don't we change it? The way you do that is who you send to Washington. But one um, spot of good news, the younger generation, they're okay with race and gender. It's us folks that are still holding on to that shit. The purity and the life that we would like to have. Gotta let that shit go and go for our happiness. You'd find that it will work out much better for you as an individual. Peace of mind, 
That's what we all look for. Now you have some people looking for chaos, but a good percentage of people are looking for that peace of mind. I remember a friend of mine asked me, would I rather be wealthy in an urban setting like New York or working class in a place in Montana? I told him, the place in Montana. He said, why? I said, because you can always think about becoming wealthy there because you got peace of mind. When you're in New York and you have it, you're trying to keep it. Which one is the easier climb for you? Where you can structure an approach or whether you're dealing with one. Now, one more thing I'm going to say before closing this particular episode. There was a lady that talked about Kanye West, Jay-Z, about them selling out to capitalism. Here's the thing that we have to look at. The only person you can sell out is yourself, not your race. Because you can't paint yourself, you're going to still be the same color no matter what. And there are going to be people to treat you accordingly. So that's a stupid argument. The other thing, too, is this. When it comes down to a person being successful, and they're successful based on the mainstream, that is success. Nobody owes you struggle. Nobody owes you that. Nobody owes you to struggle with you. At times you got to leave those struggle sandals at home. When you have an opportunity to make it for yourself and your own happiness, take it. The only people that are going to criticize you are going to be the people who weren't successful and took the risk you did in order to get where you are. They're going to be the people that are not going to like the change in you when you go forward and you outgrow them. That's with your high school classmates, some of the relationships you've been in, and some of the very people you work with, work for, and some of the very people that you would think would be happy for you, that supposedly had been in your corner all the time, and they weren't. They were the one with the gun in your back. But you didn't know it. That's the reason why I don't get upset when these young kids are going out making millions of dollars as singers and rappers and all the rest. I just hope they, they invest their money wisely. They owe me nothing as a black person if they're black. They don't need to give me back nothing. They need to take that and go forward as far as they can in life. I didn't do anything in that person's life to deserve one dime from them. Just because they're black and I'm black and they're successful. 
They don't owe me a damn thing, not even an apology, not even a thank you, not even a hello. I can accept that without any reservations. A lot of other people can't. That's what the problem is. What a lot of people in ethnic groups are going to realize is that they would love to have a collective surge of wealth or success. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to be individualized. Some will come out of the coma of the struggle, others will not. Because, see, the perception is, for some minorities, is that, oh, the white people are all rich, and we know they're not. Really, all these groups are on par with each other, but we don't want to face it. We don't want to face it. Grass green on the other side, still grass. Still grass. I know a lot of you don't agree with me, but then again, that's your prerogative not to. And I'm glad you don't. Because the one thing I don't want to have is a group of people who are involved in group think. This is the reason why this show is designed to make you think before you love. That's it. This is one view among many throughout the world, among billions. And I'm not here to influence you. Here to make you just think about it. It's your life. You're the captain of your destiny. You know where you're going. I hope some of these tools helped you. And if they didn't, just put them by the wayside. Take care, folks. I would like to personally thank you for listening to Romantic Truth. You may follow us on facebook.com backslash romantic truth. You may ask your friends to subscribe to anchor.fm backslash romantic truth. Or you can leave us a message at anchor.fm backslash romantic truth backslash message. You may contact us through email at romantictruthpodcast at gmail.com. Take care. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show.
The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.